Support for Kansas City Today comes from Cleveland University, Kansas City. From its roots as a chiropractic college to new degree programs in health sciences, CUKC is educating healthcare professionals focused on next-level health. Learn more at cleveland.edu slash impact. Support also comes from Grandma's Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Wednesday, February 16th. Coming up, the challenges that Kansas foster families face and how the state is trying to help them. Plus, how some young people in the Kansas City area are reviving the art of snail mail. But first, some headlines. COVID-19 numbers continue to decline in the area. Since last week, daily average hospitalizations have dropped nearly 15 percent, according to the Mid-America Regional Council. And for the seventh day in a row, daily positive cases are below 1,000, currently at 615. Dr. Steven Stites of the University of Kansas Health System said the consistent drop in cases is encouraging, but won't last forever. What we'll probably see, because the overall numbers are dropping, I think they'll continue to drop. I think that as masks come off in schools, the decline's probably going to flatten out a little. More Kansas City area school districts are beginning to lift their mask requirements as cases decline. KCUR's Jody Fortino reports. Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas announced on Twitter that he does not intend to renew the city's mask requirement in schools on Thursday. North Kansas City district officials say they will no longer require masks starting Friday in anticipation of the order's expiration. In Kansas, the Shawnee Mission School District voted on Monday to make masks optional in its middle and high schools. Masks will be required in its elementary schools while the Johnson County-issued mandate is in effect. Aletha Public Schools will require masks in its elementary and middle schools until Friday, the day after the county commission is expected to consider its health order. Progressive advocacy groups rallied at the Kansas State House yesterday against proposals they say are aimed at intimidating teachers and forcing them to teach inaccurate versions of American and Kansas history. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service has more. Teach truth, no more lies. Teach truth, no more lies. That's why not high school teacher Michael Rebney firing up the crowd. He says proposals that conservative lawmakers say are aimed at increasing curriculum transparency are really efforts to hide the truth about racism and other difficult subjects from students. As educators, we seek to expose their racist, their sexist, and their homophobic intent for what it is. A bill being debated in a Kansas House committee would require districts to post lesson plans on their websites, along with lists of books and teaching materials. It would also protect teachers who refuse to cover subjects that run counter to their religious beliefs. Similar bills have either passed or are under consideration in at least a dozen states. The Missouri House of Representatives advanced a bill yesterday that would put Medicaid expansion back on the ballot. Sebastian Martinez Valdivia reports it's the latest effort by Republicans to undercut the health program. The bill adds a constitutional amendment to the November ballot that, if approved, would give lawmakers the power to refuse to fund the Medicaid expansion group. Under Medicaid expansion, Missourians making less than $17,700 a year can receive coverage. Representative Cody Smith, the bill's sponsor, says the petition would allow lawmakers to split off Medicaid expansion recipients from non-expansion recipients. This would able, enable us to uncouple those two parts of the program and appropriate for them independently. Democrats decried the bill on the House floor, saying it's clear Republicans are attempting to subvert the voter-approved program. As chair of the Budget Committee last spring, Smith stripped funding for expansion from the state budget. 
There's a special term for foster families that take in kids they're related to or who are family friends. They're called kinship placements. In Kansas, those families have been asking for more training and support from the state. They say too little is done to help families who took in children on a moment's notice. Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports. Chris Moody is taking me through an online training program that kinship foster parents can go through. Moody is the training program manager with the Children's Alliance of Kansas. Over here, over the left side, it has the title Kinship Origins. It shows that I'm at 78% complete. When a parent first logs in, it'll say zero. Kinship placements offer an alternative to putting a child in a licensed foster home with strangers. They're seen as a better option to foster home placements because a child is with family or close friends, a grandmother, a pastor, a coach. Keeping children with people they know keeps them in their community, and done right, it can lead to better outcomes. But Moody says kinship placements do present a unique challenge. That kinship parent is very different because it may have been in the middle of the night. They got this child. It wasn't expected. It's now it's like, what, what do we do now? How do I work out my schedule with work? How do I, how do I uh, get this kid to school? And those struggles have left kinship parents feeling like the state has given them a complicated task with little help. They say kinship placements are treated like an afterthought. Parents say background checks and walkthroughs of homes were not done on time. Others say they received little to no training. Twyla Lassiter is one of those parents. In one case, the children placed with her had multiple court appearances in the next few days. She was not told about it until after the children arrived at her house. Court was two hours away, Lassiter had to work, and the social worker never checked to see if she had a car or driver's license. It was extremely rushed. It's like pretty much here, here's these kids, you take care of them and forget that we exist. Lassiter says it was almost impossible to get tailored services for the children, even though their special needs were well documented. DCF or the foster care agency was not willing to help fight for these kids. Lassiter spent two decades working in foster homes. She asked to become a licensed foster home so she could receive additional support and more compensation. Her social worker told her it was not required and did not offer her additional help. Yet non-kinship foster parents go through weeks of training well before the child is placed with them. The private foster care contractors who handle kinship placements have increased support for those parents, partially because of the foster families demanding it. Tanya Keyes with the Kansas Department for Children and Families says supports will continue to evolve. We know we have more work to do and we look forward to hearing uh, more information uh, that we can continually improve. Kinship parents do get support, but that aid depends on the agency they work with. Parents could get child care assistance, transportation help, and regular check-ins from staff that work only with kinship families. One private foster care agency increased the size of its kinship department from under 10 to over 40 people. Moody hopes the training builds on that momentum. The training offers tips on caring for children with trauma, puts parents in situations they may encounter, and has information on becoming a licensed foster parent. There are also videos, like this one, from people who have had similar struggles the parents are going through. You don't have certain training as you do as a foster parent, and all of a sudden now you don't even have transportation. The biggest thing is Moody says fine-tuning the training was done with the help of parents currently fostering kids, and the feedback so far has been positive. More support staff and additional online programs are being added, but some people remain skeptical that it will help. Multiple kinship parents told the Kansas News Service they expected to have a child for only a few months. Then, their placement lasted years. Stephanie West Potter is the chair of an advisory board that was created as part of a deal settling a lawsuit against the state for how it treats foster children. She says she has not seen any progress yet, despite the changes. 
So I truly hope that the positive changes that DCF say they've been making will eventually be seen by those of us that are actually living in the child welfare system. Kansas is trying to increase the number of kinship placements it already has. About 42% of placements now are kinship placements. State officials want to see that increase to around 50%. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Blaze Mesa in Topeka. The Kansas News Service is a collaboration of KCUR, KMUW, Kansas Public Radio, and High Plains Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. And now we bring you a story that I reported. It's about a hobby that helped keep me busy during the early days of the pandemic. While the U.S. Postal Service reports that household mail, including greeting cards, has steadily declined over the past 20 years, that hasn't stopped some young people, including me, from trying to bring back snail mail. I spoke to some Kansas City millennials and Gen Z about how they've used cards and letters to express love and friendship, unplug from the internet, and connect with others in an unstable time. Let's go back to spring 2020. I was reporting and producing from home, and I was spending a lot of time online, looking at people through a computer screen. So I started doing something I hadn't done very often in my 26 years of life. I started sending mail to friends at first, and then to people I met on a postcard exchange website, and then to basically any random person who wanted mail on one particular Reddit forum. It was therapeutic and fun. Writing with a rainbow of pens, peeling off stamps, and putting a whole stack of cards in my mailbox kept my hands, my mind, and my mail carrier very busy. And I wasn't the only person keeping the USPS in business. It just became more of like a way of like both record keeping as well as just sort of like being able to be like, hey, like I'm really curious about like how you're doing. Here's how I'm doing. Like here's some stuff that I did with my day. During lockdown, Nikita Imafidon, who's now 24, started spending more time on the letters she wrote, making each one like a little work of art. She was working at Wonderfair, a gift and art supply store in Lawrence, where sales for writing materials like stationery and cards went up about 20% in 2020 and have increased by 30% each year since then. Co-owner Meredith Moore says the store used to sell cards mostly around holidays like Mother's Day and Christmas, but now cards sell pretty consistently throughout the year. The pandemic also brought in a lot of customers in their teens and 20s, looking to make their letters more beautiful, with finishes like wax seals. Moore thinks social media has been a big influence. There is a zeitgeist, especially on TikTok and Instagram and even YouTube, of um, small independent creators who put videos up of themselves doing sealing wax on envelopes in beautiful ways or um, designing their own stationery that's very beautiful. 31-year-old Trent Boltinghouse of Mission, on the other hand, has used snail mail to inspire connections on social media. In 2020, he found a website with a list of the 500 oldest living baseball players and started writing letters to them, asking for autographs. He's connected not only with the players, but also with a community of other baseball fans on Snapchat who post photos of new letters or call each other on the phone. I really enjoy kind of the feel of holding something in your hand and knowing that at least somebody else held that item, you know, it, it helps connect, I think, between humans. Greeting card giant Hallmark, based here in Kansas City, said cards for teachers, delivery drivers, and other essential workers have seen higher sales during the pandemic. So have cards that were funny, had religious themes, or weren't connected to any specific occasion. 
34-year-old Crystal Everett of Kansas City grew up getting cards from her grandmother, who worked at Hallmark. For Everett, cards aren't just a way to show affection or appreciation. They're also memories of special events like graduations. Now, she's passing her love of cards onto her four-year-old daughter, Mari. Even for her birthday last year, just got some photo cards printed from Walgreens that just said, you know, thank you for coming to my party. Love, Mari. And so it really is more of a life lesson of, you know, being grateful for what people do for you. That's a big part of why Imafidon, who works at Wonderfair, continues to write and send letters and cards. For her, it's about going the extra step to show that you care about someone, even if it's easier and cheaper to just text them. I used to not like Valentine's Day very much, and then I got to a point where I was like, this is like so fun and cute and wonderful. And I also just really love that it is a holiday that's really just like based around cuteness. And I think that people don't necessarily respect that as much as it should be. I'm like, why does it have to be important? It could just be cute. Like things can just be cute and that's wonderful. And for the record, I'm not big on Valentine's Day either. But while reporting this story, I did end up buying a card. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Blaze's story about Kansas foster care and my story about snail mail, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Tomorrow, we'll hear how discussions about critical race theory are affecting public schools in Kansas. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.